This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Loving Father, we just thank you for this time this afternoon to study and to share and to think together. We pray that you will send your Holy Spirit to us as we consider principles and concepts of your work. And um, we pray that you will guide us in our, in our work for you, that we may follow your ways and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so to this presentation called Principles and Concepts, um, we wanted to present this particular presentation because uh, there are so many aspects uh, that affect medical ministry that if you can think of them in advance and if you can consider them prior to them occurring, you can either avoid mistakes or you can take advantage of good opportunities. Um, there is a risk we take when we present this to you, and the risk is that it could be quite disjointed because there are a variety of things that we've gathered trying to put into some coherent whole the, these, these ideas that we can give to you. Now, why would we choose to do that? Well, the rationale is this. Um, I graduated from medical school in 1995. That would make me old. 20 years of medical practice. Before that, I was a registered nurse. Before that, I was an EMT. Do you think in all those years that I had the medical ministry in mind, do you think I might have run into some mistakes that I made? Or possibly found some real solutions that could have been a blessing had I known them in advance? Pastor Wayne not only has been a pastor for years and years and years, but he has also been in charge of our working at a lifestyle center for many years. Do you think that he might have had in that process the opportunity to come across some things that if he had somebody telling him about beforehand, he might have actually, you know, made some good on it, made some extra moves in the right direction? So this is the concepts here. So you have to kind of look at these principles and concepts that way. Each one of these things we're going to share with you actually does have a, a backstage, a backstory. They're, these are not just pulled out of the air. They're actual things that we had in, in relationships or circumstances or situations that we've been in. It's not comprehensive. It is a good smattering. Um, and there's others that you could probably fill out many, many others. So just to let you know, this is not complete. Um, we're going to have four major divisions in what we're going to share with you. Principles and concepts related to um, relationships, methods of ministry. Uh, the concept of sacrifice has its own component that we're going to share with you. And the idea of the combined work also will have its own component. So... Um, I just want to make the statement that medical missionary work and the third angel's message are connected through these, through these principles and concepts. Um, I do want to uh, read Revelation 14.12. It says here that here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God 
and the faith of Jesus. And so our, our assignment really is to show how there is a connection between the medical missionary work and the third angel's message. That's what we're trying to pull together. And therefore, um, as I mentioned, it's not going to be a full exposition on the gospel side now. It won't be a full exposition on the gospel side of this third angel's message. But it will be on the medical missionary side of the third angel's message. So the first principle we want to talk about is, is medical missionary work needs to be driven by relationship. And that relationship, first of all, is a relationship that is dependent upon God. It's not what you do, but it's who you are. Okay? You follow me there? It's not what you do, but it's who you are in your heart and in your life, your words, your actions. What is the core value in your life? Revelation 3, verses 14, actually verses 15 and 16 is what we're looking at. But the Laodicean message is verses 14 to 22. Jesus says to us, as Seventh-day Adventists, I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, he will do what? I will vomit you out of my mouth. So it's, it's, not, it's not what we do. It's, it's who we are in our core being. In John 5.30, Jesus himself says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. That is who he was. He was totally dependent upon his Father. And we are as well. So the next principle we'll cover is this, in this relationship portion, is the principle that... that medical ministry, ministry of any kind, but particularly this gospel medical ministry that represents the character of Jesus, needs to be driven by prayer. There is no, in my opinion now, that I can see, there is no other kind of ministry that I've ever been involved in that tests me so much. It drives me. It tests my pride and arrogance, my self-will, the whether or not I am going to listen for where God would send me. All of these are tested in this medical ministry portion. And if I don't focus in prayer, then I will not be changed and I will become inadequate to the task because I have to be imbued by the Spirit of God and prayer changes me. In Luke eleven nine, it says, uh, So I ask, Say to you, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. To him who knocks is open to it is open. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone or a fish? Will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In medical ministry, we need to be so in tune with Christ that we yearn so much for his will that we ask him, please help me minister to this individual. 
to meet their needs. And it changes me by doing that. In James 5, 15 and 16, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And that last phrase challenges all, every single one of us to our very core being. But it is so true. Prayer is the key. It's got to be, the relationships have got to go through prayer. In Jeremiah 33, verses 2 and 3, thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed and established it, the Lord is his name. Call, on, call to me, and I will do what? I will answer you. He is a God who hears and, and answers. And if you don't know how to pray, if you don't know how to really seek people's salvation through medical missionary work, ask him. Just ask him, and he will answer you. I cannot tell you how many Seventh-day Adventists, good, good men and women, who have gone through medical school and medical training, they've got all this excellence in their background, and yet they don't know. They question, how in the world do I help somebody understand the gospel when I sit in front of them in a, in a patient room? They question it. If they question it, do you think anybody else might? Yeah. So asking God to give deliverance in this, to give guidance in this, is really a, is a key. Now, we're talking about this medical ministry concept being driven by relationship. When we said medical missionary work is not what you do, it's who you are. We said that medical missionary work needs to be driven by prayer. And now, we wanted to say that, that medical missionary work needs to be maintained by a personal contact with Jesus. You can start really well in medical missionary work with great altruistic motives, but medicine and healthcare will wear you down. It will wear you down physically, but it will also wear you down emotionally. You will rise to high standards, and yet because of our personal um, uh, selfishness sometimes, we will find that we stray from the principles we started with. And without that close personal contact with Jesus, moment by moment, that is a real struggle, which is why it's a tremendous area for us to be in, healthcare, because it makes us moment by moment stay with Jesus. But, you know, John, it's, it's not only physicians and nurses that need that. I use that only as an example. All our church members have the exact same issues. <clears throat> because going out and helping the neighbor next door that needs, you know, the leaves raked or the, the snow shoveled or, you know, needs uh, a charcoal poultice or needs, you know, just somebody to come and, and encourage them. Each one of us can get tired of that and we can get weary and we can and start thinking about self instead of thinking about others. Have you ever seen it so, a person so driven by the work that they forget the God of the work? Yeah. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. 
so driven by the work that we forget the God of the work. So John 15, 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this... My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The next point that we'd like to share under this, this section is that you, you cannot give what you don't have. If you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you cannot give it away. Matthew 10, verse 8, heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. But you first have to receive before you can give. And then the next one, we need to know our purpose, why we are here. Um, your purpose alters your approach to ministry. We can go to the purpose of, of numbers, driving for the highest numbers, for example. And if your purpose is to just get numbers, well, that's going to drive your actions. But if your purpose is to bring people to Jesus, if your purpose is to minister to their needs and draw them to a personal relationship with their Savior, then it's going to change the focus. The outcome that you're looking for will dramatically impact how you do your work. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. How many things does he do? He keeps it in, in mind. That one thing, the purpose, his goal. And he says, I press toward the goal of the prize, the upward calling in Christ. And so keeping that purpose front and center. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There is keeping that purpose, whether you're being a doctor nurse, whether you're a carpenter or a plumber, whether you are a businessman or whoever you are, your purpose, your one purpose is everybody you come in contact with, you want to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Gospel Workers, page 111, Christ brought his desires and wishes into strict obeyance to his what? To his mission. Isn't that interesting? There is, he knew his purpose. He knew his mission. And he brought everything, his desires, 
his wishes to his mission. The mission that bore the insignia of heaven. He made everything subordinate to the work that he came to this world to accomplish. We want to challenge you this afternoon. We appeal to you this afternoon to follow that, in, that, that example. On a clinical note, I see a lot of patients that have depression. And oftentimes, they can't tell me why they're depressed. But they're depressed. And I'll go through the DSM criteria on depression, and I'll say, well, you're right, you're not depressed. I got nothing I can do for you. You're not depressed. But let me go another direction. And I start asking them about meaning, motivation, and purpose. And when I do that, suddenly I strike home. No, I have no purpose. There is no meaning to my life. Yes, nothing motivates me. These people are depressed because they have no purpose. Mm -hmm. On a clinical point, you recognize one of the developmental tasks of the adolescent, somebody anywhere between the ages of 14 and in their late, pardon me, in their, into their 20s, is the development of your purpose. And if you miss that, you may be depressed because you don't know where you're going. You're just kind of floating in life. So there's a clinical benefit to that. And if, as a Christian worker, we know that our purpose is to bring people to, the, to, to Christ, to bring them the gospel, well, some people, what they would do is, hey, look, my purpose is to get people to pray. Once I pray, I'm good. So guess what they're going to get to do? They're going to pray with a, with a person. Wonderful. But see, because their purpose was short-sighted, they didn't believe the, that the gospel was it. They just said, I'm going to pray with somebody. They prayed great start, but then they left. Or maybe I'll get somebody to understand these Bible studies, and they'll do Bible studies. You'll do religious things, and they'll get to understand the Bible studies. But because they didn't have the purpose of completing the gospel commission and making disciples and baptizing, because they didn't understand the purpose of Christ's work for them to bring them Jesus into their lives, they stopped there. They did a Bible study and it fell into nothing. Now, the Holy Spirit will work despite whatever our messes are. <laughs> but, you know, to recognize we can cooperate most with the Lord when we understand the purpose He has given to us. And this follows right next into the next category of principles that we want to cover. One of the purposes, one of the, one of the, um, the methods in relationship that we want to cover as a principle is to knit the heart of people to ourselves because we're connected to Jesus. So really, it's connecting them to Jesus. That's the, that's the goal, to meet their needs, to have an opportunity to know Jesus is a really important purpose or a part of that purpose that we can have. If you look into a ministry of healing 143, we recognize a very common today common um, uh, passage. It says, Christ's method alone will, again, does Ellen White exaggerate? Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. What did he do? The Savior mingled with men as one desiring their good. He showed his sympathy 
for them. He ministered to their needs and won their confidence. Do you think this would knit their hearts to him? And our families are no different, by the way. This is the same way we should be treating our families. If we see in the relationships we have, brothers or sisters, parents, cousins, whatever, if we see that we're not knitting their hearts to ours as we give them the gospel, we're not carrying out the purpose of Jesus. So then, when all this was done, then he bade them follow me. And that uh, leads us to our next point here, and that is balance. In ministry, it is very easy to get so wrapped up. Just ask me how I know. It gets so easy to get wrapped up and get out of balance. Uh, we need to have a relationship with ourselves and with our family. The Lord knows that we are just dust. Uh, and... Uh, Mark 6, Jesus says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Those are important principles for medical ministry as well as any other type of ministry. Don't forget your own flesh. Don't forget your family and your relationships. Um, Isaiah 58, verse 7, uh, the medical missionary chapter and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Take care of yourself and your family. Balance is extremely important. The concept of being equally yoked is also the concept, one of the concepts under relationship. Now, this is widely applicable. This one concept is huge, and it will alter the direction you take in all kinds of areas in your relationships, in your family even, as well as connection in ministry and maybe business, to be unequally yoked. You see, with Jesus, you want to be there. You don't want to be behind him. And if you're like some of us that go running ahead, you may find it uncomfortable because he'll drag you back. You'll say, I'm not going to go there. I actually turned over here. And he went, he went and kept going that way. And so you want to stay lockstep with Jesus but also this applies to your family. Do you see how being equally yoked in the family can alter dramatically what happens in your ministry? I cannot tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night and my wife is in tears. And I ask her, why are you crying? And she says, we have two weeks and there's $15,000 to be owed and we have no money. And I ask her, do you, I mean, this kind of pressure is too much for you. You take care of our finances. I will put this down at any moment. You say the word. Now think about the risk I'm taking. I have put my life into medical ministry. But here's a woman who's suffering because of it. And she says to me, are we sure the Lord has brought us here? Yes, you know that is true. Her response, then we are not safe to be anywhere else. That's equally yoked. She is as much a minister of the gospel, no matter whether she's working in the home with my children, supervising the, the office staff, working with um, billing, whatever she's doing, she is 
ministry. Now, it doesn't have to be in medicine. It could be in anything. And do you see how this huge change can occur to your ministry if you let it have you unequally yoked? And so because in this room right now, I see a lot of people that are either already on the direction of making strong relationships in that way that could potentially alter your direction, I would bring you to the point that relationships in courting and marriage are just as important as business relationships when it comes to being equally yoked. You need to consider seriously what will happen with a spouse and what will happen, how they will feel when the going gets rough. And so because of that, um, I don't know if you heard from us at the beginning, but if you were to send an email to amedicalministry at gmail.com, all one word, amedicalministry at gmail.com, you're going to get a whole bunch of our resources that include our, our, our notes and our slides and, and a plethora of other materials for, for medical ministry. But one of the things you're going to get if you do that is three documents from a friend of mine, George Baute, Pastor George Baute, who... This, that has three documents on relationships and courting so that people who are getting into ministry understand the appropriate, proper way to, to, to get into a relationship that will be healthy and healing for you. And so that in Isaiah 58, verse 7, you can say, I have not neglected my own flesh. So I'd encourage you to look up amedicalministry at gmail.com. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 to 18. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? Skipping down. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. So, in this, this equally yoked concept, there's one other thing that I should mention. It's a little bit of a caveat, a subtlety. There, is ways to look at, there are ways to look at ministry. One of them makes a grand show. One of them is personal and quiet. There are times when God will call us to make a show of whatever it is, but we don't do it with that in mind. If he calls you to speak a sermon, he's called you in front of people. And that's great. But if your whole purpose is to be in front of people, then you're making a show. And being equally yoked includes the way you approach your ministry, whether it's personal one-on-one -on -one contact and following the Lord for those times he says, get up in front of those folks, or whether it's our own direction and whether we're out there just to be part of something grand. So being equally yoked has this depth to it to be aware of. Go ahead. Oh, it's fine. Um, so that was the first section. We want to talk about relationships. The second section here. Methods. Are currently on methods. Now, it's kind of the nitty-grit a little bit, but one of the things that we want to do as a method of health ministry, is to have what we call whole person care. Now, there's a reason for that. You don't just take care of a person's um, spiritual needs and see them hungry and not feed them. On the other hand, 
you can feed a lot of people and never mention Jesus or never act in a way that makes them want to know Jesus. In fact, actually, in the early history of our denomination, that's what happened. The benevolent work had far taken it over and exceeded the work of the gospel to the point where there was no gospel in that benevolent work. And we were told to cut back from that. And the outcome was seen in that benevolent work was taken over by one of our physicians and in a whole sanitarium was taken from our denomination in a whole work. You see, so these kinds of things can be unbalanced. And, and so we want whole person care. We want to do what we do, body, mind, and spirit, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social. That's whole person care. It meets all the needs. In First Thessalonians, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I think that was all. Go ahead. Yeah, First Thessalonians 5. <clears throat> now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul, and body, there's the whole person, be preserved blameless. Matthew 22 talks about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Again, the whole person. Matthew 4, Jesus went about Galilee teaching, preaching, and healing. There's the physical, or the, the, the uh, mental, and uh, the spiritual, and the physical all together. He deals with the whole person all the time. We want to talk about the fact that, that uh, medical missionary work is a personal work. Uh, this is, to me, this is very significant. The work of an institution cannot substitute for the work of the individual. You cannot leave to a church or to a hospital or to a clinic or to a school or to whatever, a conference, the work that God is calling you to do. Um, every member has to be involved. We have to go where the people are. One-on-one -on -one is more effective than large groups of people. And uh, going into the homes, helping a person get on an exercise program, teaching them how to cook healthfully in their home, in their kitchen, okay? Uh, these are the types of things. Maybe clean, helping them clean their home, help them to study and organize and... and uh, Give them some simple treatments. Uh, individual home visits by Jesus. He, you know, like the woman at the well, Nicodemus, Simon who had been, been healed, Peter's home. There's all kinds of examples in the New Testament where Jesus went to the home or he ministered to people one on one. And that's where the real power is. An institution cannot do the work that each one of us must do individually. Um, again, Matthew tw 25, we read this before this morning, but, uh, you know, he says, this is the type of character, this is the type of person who will be ready when Jesus comes. The one who, it can be said, you gave me food, you gave me drink, you took me in, you clothed me, you visited me, 
you came to me. Is that large group activity or is that one-on-one? One-on-one. That's right. And Ministry of Healing, page 147. Everywhere, there is a tendency to substitute the work of organizations for individual effort. Skipping on down, Christ commits to his followers an individual work, a work that cannot be done by proxy. It's a personal, sacrificial work that God is calling us to. Do you see how some of these concepts, if you had thought about them in advance, you might not go down a road that you would have maybe done by accident? If you can think about them in advance, you see them coming, and then you can fix it. You can go down a road that's better for you and better for those around you. There's another one that's quite a trip to many of us. It's the concept in this methods portion that we're talking about, the concept of the difference between science and revelation. Science and revelation. How will we treat people? You see, this, this concept is like a road and there's a ditch on both sides. Both of those are unbalanced. It, I have people that are really great physician friends and scientists, but they will tell me the eight natural remedies, bah humbug, that, that's hokey medicine. And on the other hand, I'll have somebody that says, you know what, I got colloidal silver and high colonic enemas, and those will take care of you under the name of Jesus. Well, that's revelation, but that's not revelation, you see? It's unbalanced. It's not rational. So rational medicine also uses natural remedies, but it uses natural remedies in a rational way. You know, if you have somebody who's trying to tell you that a natural remedy works, but there's no mechanism that it can work by, you need to really look at it seriously because God does not work out his normal principles. And so, and, and in addition to that, you can use natural remedies just like you would a drug. How often have I seen people who says, I will not take that blood pressure medicine for my blood pressure, which is 210 over 120. They're going to have a stroke. But I'll take these 23 different herbal remedies or, or, or whatever substances that are now in a pill. I said, well, how is this different than a drug? But even then, it's deeper yet. If you take a natural remedy, which we know works, let's just say charcoal. We know charcoal works. It's a blessing from God. We appropriately use it, and it's a powerful blessing. But what happens when we apply charcoal like a technician would, without prayer, about the healing? Do you get the subtlety of that? Now I'm taking something we know works, and we're applying it without the healing balm. You see? And this is the whole purpose of those natural remedies, is to take those natural remedies and demonstrate the power of God through them. Amen. You see? And so we want to make sure that we sit correctly in this balance. We want to be in that road because science and revelation are both God's tools, and we don't want to be one side or the other. In Second Kings, we have an example of God using natural remedies. He said, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you. There's hydrotherapy. And so he was upset. Can I build this someplace else? Maybe not. Because when he did, he had this as an endpoint. He had this as an endpoint. 
He washed, and by washing, he said in the end, Now I know there is no God on all the earth except in Israel. Amen. That's the outcome of the natural remedies we want to apply. When we apply any of these, the outcome should be, our purpose should be that these people understand that God is in Israel and no other place. If you look at counsels to parents, teachers, and students, it, Mrs. White says, that knowledge which is termed science should be acquired. While... At the same time, while the seeker daily acknowledges that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. Is it true? Do you see how science and revelation are together? And looking a little further down, I'll have Pastor Wayne. In Education, page 129, it says, Since the book of nature and the book of revelation bear the impress of the same master mind, they cannot but speak in harmony. And going on, but she brings, talking about science, she brings from her research nothing that rightly understood conflicts with divine revelation. The book of nature and the written word shed light upon each other. And then counsels for the church, Drug medication, as it is generally practiced, is a what? Curse. Educate away from drugs. Use them less and less. And depend more upon hygienic agencies. Then nature will respond to God's physicians. And what are God's physicians? Pure air, pure water, proper exercise, a clear Conscience? Ah, you see the combination there, the spiritual and the physical. Drugs need seldom, seldom be used. So we've covered two sections so far. The fact that medical ministry in the principles and concepts should be based on relationship. The second portion we just finished was those methods that we talked about. The next section we want to talk about is a major key to ministry. And it's so much a key that we thought it necessary to put as its own topic. And it is the call to sacrifice. Medical ministry is nothing but a call to sacrifice. And there is a statement that I like to use, and that is this. Sacrifice is the currency of ministry. With it, we purchase gratitude which we give to God for the healing of the soul and body. You see, it's God's power that heals. We get to sit back and watch it happen. You see, and so sacrifice is something that we get to be part of. And it's interesting of all the things that we can do in all the universe compared to the angels and the seraphim and the cherubim and everything, we are the one being that can do that one thing. We can sacrifice we know what it's like to suffer. The rest of the universe does not. It's a very close connection with Jesus that we get to have. And it is a call that's higher than the rest of the universe will know because only this world has suffered like we have. So if you sacrifice like that, 
I said it's the currency of ministry. Do you think that sacrifice might affect your bottom line? How do I mean by that? Well, I'll just give you a for instance in our personal life here. Um, I'm a physician. I work with pastors. As a physician, I have chosen for the last 16 years to maintain a pastoral salary. The difference it makes in the medical ministry is huge, and you can't know it unless you've experienced it, but it's huge. It puts me on the same level as the pastors that I'm working with, and it changes their attitude towards me as well as my attitude towards work. There is a sacrifice there in which I, when I take care of somebody, I realize I could be making four times what I'm making now, but I've chosen instead to minister to you. You see how it affects your bottom line when you sacrifice like that? But you see what that sacrifice does to the person you're ministering to. It is huge. It wins their hearts. I can have many people who, ha who have been sitting in front of me, whether in the office or in the home. Because we'll do in my home, this, we have a small group we call a cell group. We go out and do altruistic gifts. And we often do it anonymously. We take somebody and we just do these great tremendous, what we call overwhelming abundance service projects, where they don't know where it came from. But the people that are involved in those, when they see the sacrifice, it's amazing. We're going to have to fly. Yeah. So, um, let's go to Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, when the, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation and taking the form of a bondservant. And then coming in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the result of that kind of sacrifice. Sorry. In Ephesians 5, it says... Uh, talks about an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma that Christ offered to his Father. And it also talks about that same sacrifice for us. Uh, Paul talks about himself, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. And so the sacrifice of Jesus is the same sacrifice that he wants us to experience as well. Ministry of Healing 502. I'm just going to skip to the bottom. That a person who is loving Christ, he is eager to signalize his gratitude by devoting his abilities to God's service. He longs to show his love for Christ and, his per as, and for his purchased possession. He covets toil, hardship, and sacrifice. That's opposite from coveting ease and pleasure. Second selected, selected message is, there is just as much self-denial required now as when the f we first started the work. Do you remember reading the story of how the Seventh-day Adventist Church started and the sacrifice that it took then? There's just as much self-denial required now 
as when we first started the work, when we were only a little handful of people, when we knew what self-denial meant, what self-sacrifice meant. So, talking about sacrifice, we look at it from the point of motivation. And we know that not all motivations are equal. There are some motivations that are better than others. For instance, most motivations have to do with getting something. You know, I'll come work for you if I get this raise. I get, you know, I'll come live in that place if I get a view of the valley, you know, whatever it is. But the motivation that Christ asked for us is the motivation that deals with what we lose, what we're willing to give. It's different. And when we're motivated by love, love is the highest motivation. You will do things for love you would never do for anything else. There are things that you will do for love, again, like was spoken last night, things you will do for love that will hold you close to the difficulties and still keep you there with gratitude because you are filled with love. So, sacrificial love is the power that the throne of the universe sits on. Think of that. It's the law that undergirds the whole universe, the sacrificial love of God. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it says, The disciple is not above his teacher, nor his servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a, ma- a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? And so a disciple, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's signing up on the line saying, I am willing to give it all. I am willing to be called the devil by the world. I'm willing to be persecuted for Christ's sake. And uh, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33, great multitudes were following Jesus, and he turned to them and says, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my what? Now, is Jesus wanting us to hate? What he's saying here is the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then down at the bottom, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. We must put it all on the line. And we need to know that when we sacrifice to this degree, it's going to be something where we sacrifice ourselves, part of us. In other words, we, can, we can't be so afraid for our own survival that we neglect to do that which is right. There is a humility that comes that you have to, to recognize. If I only got what I deserved, you might think. You know, it's not like that because it's not to raise up, it's to go lower. You see, we're not trying to overcome somebody. We're trying to Go lower in sacrifice to Jesus. Number three. Five, eight. Okay. 
1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. 1 Timothy 4.10 For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God. Notice, trusting in God doesn't save you from, from suffering, from reproach. Matthew 6.33 But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. The fourth principle that we want to share this afternoon, we want to conclude with this one, is that the work needs to be a combined work. We need to follow Christ's example of teaching, preaching, and healing. Now, the role of the pastor is to keep the physicians and the medical workers focused. And the work of the physicians and medical workers is to keep the pastors practical, the Bible workers practical. And so the two, we work together, and, it, it, and, it, and there's a blessing when we work combined. But when we're separated, there's a great curse. Um, you can't, you know, and, and, and I have a picture of, of John and, and a, an evangelist who work together. But this could be a nurse and a Bible worker. This could be a health coach. And, you know, this could be just uh, any couple of church members who may have a different in focus of ministry, one in, in the practical health lines or, or just practical helping people line, and another one being in the more Bible study uh, line of work. But team up together because you, have, you both have strengths that, you, that the other person needs, okay? And you will be a blessing that way. I guess the point is that you don't need a medical license to do medical ministry. You don't. In fact, the purpose initially for our work was not to make a bunch of certified physicians. It was to be a health evangelist who didn't need licensure. So be aware that this applies to all of us. So as long as you're ministering physically and spiritually, you have the combined ministry. I'll go to 9.35 of, uh, I mean of Matthew. Again, we talk about teaching, preaching, and healing. Moving on to Luke 9, 1 and 2. Again, power and authority over demons to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach and heal. Going to Luke 9, 6. Again, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Coming down into, um, uh, there's a quote in medical ministry that says, there is to be no division between the ministry and the medical work. Do we see a division? There's to be no division between the ministry and the medical work. The physician should labor equally with the minister and as, with as much earnestness and thoroughness for the salvation of souls. And again, that passage in medical ministry, the Lord calls for unity, for oneness. 
where the gospel ministers and the medical missionary workers are, when they're not divided, when they're not united, there is placed upon our churches the worst evil. And then testimonies. The medical missionary work is to be the work of the church as the right arm of the body. The third angel goes forth proclaiming the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. The medical missionary work is the gospel in what? In practice. Not just theory, but in practice. (laughs) It's got to be a left arm. (laughs) All right. Okay. In terms of these concepts, there's one thing that we need to be very aware of, and, and that's where, um, as a physician, I've recognized a stumbling block amongst myself and my peers. You see, the medical ministry is not the gospel by itself. You get the point? There's times, you know, we've said it in different directions now, but this is the case, that the medical ministry is not the gospel. We can do a lot of things. We can be out there to help people by itself. We can even be professionals doing it. In fact, we could use natural remedies. Did you know you can use natural remedies and be a new ager? You get my point? Without the gospel, they're not helpful. You know, we could actually even do lifestyle medicine, That's not the gospel. Whole person care is even a stronger statement. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social. Well, that's great. Again, we go back to this new age thing. It's not the gospel. The the medical ministry by itself does not stand. You can be a Buddhist, a new age believer, uh, different religions, and it doesn't do the job. We're going to have to fly through some of these things. Uh, our time is, is gone. But uh, Luke 4, uh, Jesus says, you know, they tried to keep Jesus in a particular town, and he says, no, I must preach the kingdom of God in other cities because I... Pardon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, the gospel has to be connected um, he is in danger of setting the medical missionary work f- first, making it the body instead of the arm. He will be ambitious to do great things by s- separating the medical missionary work from the gospel ministry. The genuine medical missionary work should not be exalted above the gospel ministry. Some are in danger of re- regarding the medical missionary work as the body when it is only the arm and the hand. Essentially, the thing that we want to remember is that the use of the medical missionary work is for one purpose, to complete the gospel commission. Because we can do medical missionary work for a lot of other causes, even just to be healthy, but that's not a good enough reason. And of course, we know the, the gospel commission to make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to absorb all things. That is what we are all about. In John 20, 30, 31, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life. 
in manuscript release, uh, the light came to me clear and distinct that the medical missionary work was absorbing too much, while a more definite work in special lines was being neglected, that you were gathering into your arms a class of work that is never-ending, which, which was eclipsing the work that needs to be done in every city, the proclamation of the soon coming of Christ. The third angel's message was being blanketed. So the idea is that we are not to use the Spirit of God for our own selfish purposes. There is a bad thing when somebody tried to do that in the New Testament. He said, your money perish with you. And yet we do this sometimes. We say, we're going to use this, and the outcome we're looking for is good health. But that wasn't the purpose of, of, of the medical ministry. The purpose of the medical ministry was the reverse, is to use health to help people with the outcome to know Jesus. It's a subtle but very dangerous um, compromise that we make when we go the other way. Keep going. Um, oh. Okay. Um, why don't you? Okay. We need to be uh, careful not to be using the Spirit of God for our own personal ends. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. Um, Isaiah talked about Jesus, that he was a man despised, rejected, a man of sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Uh, we don't, we, we submit ourselves to God's will for our lives. We don't know the end from the beginning. And if we just humble ourselves before him, he will, he will be glorified in whatever happens in our lives. So, in the combined work, we want to remember that the laws of nature are the laws of God. Remember, science and revelation, they work together. There's a cause and effect relationship that we need to be aware of. If you look down in this child guidance passage, page 60, uh, 363, the youth should be taught that the laws of nature are the laws of God, as truly divine as are the precepts of the Decalogue. Let's go down... Yeah, Galatians 6, 7, do not, be, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. The man, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. And if we believe that the laws of God aren't part of the Decalogue, we're going to treat them differently, and we're going to get the outcome that comes with it. You see, the whole idea here, if it's the law of God, then obedience is necessary. Now, the thing is, people will think if you're obedient that you're, like, amazing. They'll think, like, wow, how did this happen? You're just, you're on the cutting edge. The problem is that in today's society, obedience is so uncommon that when people see it, they think it's original. They don't recognize that you're simply following the Lord. And some examples of that is when uh, Josiah uh, and his people found the, the law of God in the, in the temple that had been hidden for a long time. And um, when they was read to him, he tore his clothes because, I mean, it was so new to him, yet it was only, it was something of, of, uh, uh, that had been around for, for centuries. And uh, he made a covenant for the Lord to follow the Lord. And it was, it was something new and strange because um, Passover had never been kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. It was... It was brand new. Everybody was rejoicing 
is like, ah, oh, this is something brand new. But it wasn't. It was just returning to the paths of God. And then our final point is this. There's a connection, a divine connection between sin and disease. Now, we say that carefully because there are those who would be offended by that connection, even within our, our own ranks. So we need to recognize that there is a divinely inspired connection. And in Councils on Health, page 325, I'll read, there is a divinely appointed connection between sin and disease. No physician can practice for a month without seeing this illustrated. He may ignore the fact. His mind may be so occupied with other matters that his attention will not be called to it. But if he will be observing and honest, he cannot help acknowledging that sin and disease bear to each other the relationship of cause and effect. So this afternoon, our first presentation here has been a little just points that we've been trying to point out to you. But we want to call you this afternoon to a commitment. A commitment to follow Jesus in all of his ways. We have just outlined a number of points here as far as principles and concepts that are, through our experience, are very important. Now, I understand that sitting here and just hearing these things just point by point by point, you you come away, wow, what was that all about? Come to our webpage, or our email, send us an email at amedicalministry at gmail.com, and you will get all of these materials, all of our notes, all of our slides, plus tons of other stuff that document and uphold what we're saying here this afternoon. And this is something that we just want to give you resources, but we want to call you to make a commitment to follow Jesus in ministry. How many want to respond by saying, yes, I want to do that? Amen. John, wants you lead us in prayer? Father in heaven, we are grateful for realizing all the, the sacrifice that you have made for us. And you have given us um, opportunities to look and see some points that we could use to further our own experience. Lord, these things that Wayne and I have talked about have been for, from our own experience. We've made mistakes, Lord. Help these um, dear people to see those points, to understand them, and then not make those mistakes but to maybe make their own and then share them, share the results with us so that, Lord, we can lift one another up and strengthen one another in the work that's being done. We pray, Lord, that you will honor these, uh, these few moments we've had with um, understanding that as people study, they will understand with greater clarity what is necessary for them to do a good work and that we will understand day by day how to walk closer to you and do this. Um, uh, relationship building work that you've given. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. 
To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.